Yes, good. Thank you very much. Have you ever had a bad day or a bad week and you're really struggling in your faith? You feel as if you've been let down and um, nobody around you loves you? Well, Jesus had a bad day, a bad week, and um, we see that up here in Matthew chapter 26 and 27 that we're going to have a look at this morning, and we're going to study and look at the story of Peter and Judas. Jesus had a bad week. He was betrayed by Judas. He was abandoned by his friends. All his disciples left him, and he was denied by Peter. Our readings today are found in the book of Matthew in chapters 26 and 27 and uh, chapter 26 covers a lot of ground and uh, in 30 minutes we haven't got a show of reading and studying at all in any depth but the chapter starts after a long discourse with his disciples and it moves uh, to the home of Simeon or Simon, sorry, the leper of Bethany near Jerusalem. Now It was in the home of Simon the leper that Mary, the sister of Lazarus, uh, anointed Jesus with a very expensive jar of of perfume. And in John 11 verse 2 we read that it was this Mary who was the brother of of Lazarus who lay ill was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. That act of worship brought an indignant response from some of the disciples who thought this was a dreadful waste of money. Uh, Meanwhile, as we read the start of the chapter about the plot that the the, um, behind closed doors that the chief priests and the elders of the people secretly uh, decided they were going to arrest and put Jesus to death. At this point we're introduced to Judas Iscariot who decides to deliver Jesus to um, to those who plotted against his life. And Judas is the subject of today's message. So before considering the events of the next uh, few hours in Jesus' life, let's ask ourselves what we know about Judas. Well, there are 12 things about Judas Iscariot. The first was that he was one of the 12 disciples. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13 tell us this, that Jesus spent the night in prayer and then he called his 12 disciples, of whom Judas was included. There was Simon Peter... There was James, there was John, Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel, who was also known as Bartholomew, there was Thomas, there was Matthew or Levi, there was James the Lesser, there was Judas Thaddeus, there was Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now there's two characteristics about this list of disciples that are notable in the scriptures. Every time the twelve are mentioned, uh, Peter was the first and Judas was the last. And every time that he's mentioned, he's always noted that he was the one who betrayed the Lord. The third thing we know about Judas is that he, it's the Aramaic version of, um, of the name Judah. Yeah, it's interesting. There's not many people that are called Judas nowadays, are there? But I've got a grandson whose name is Judah. And interestingly, my son and daughter-in-law who were um, named him, they didn't realise that it was the same name as Judas, but he's called Judah and we love him. And Judah is great, it's a great name, it means praise. The fifth thing that we learn about Judas is that he came from Kirioth in Hebron. 
Um, he was an outsider, six, number six. He was an outsider as all the other disciples came from Galilee. So he felt a little bit on the outer, if you like, because he was different. He came from a different place and he didn't really have the same uh, background as all the other disciples. Uh, number seven, he journeyed and he studied with Jesus for over three years. He sat under his teachings and he learnt all that the other disciples learnt as well. Number eight, we know that he was a trusted disciple. He was trusted as he was the uh, treasurer, if you like, in modern terms. He had the ATM card and um, he was looking after the money. Number nine, he was given power like the other disciples, power to preach and to heal the sick. Remember they were sent out in pairs, two by two. Well, Judas obviously had a, uh, a partner in that and he was one of the disciples who went out and preached in the name of the Lord Jesus. Number 10, some people say or suggest that um, Judas Iscariot was Simon Peter's son, but no, he wasn't. He wasn't that at all. He came from Kirioth, whereas um, Peter came from Galilee. Anyway, in uh, John chapter 6, verse 71 he, it, it John tells us that he was the son of Simon Iscariot. Um, number 11, he was an embezzler. John 6 verse 12 tells us that he stole from the money bag on a regular basis. And number 12, he was a political activist. He was a zealot who wanted to oust the Romans and uh, you know, stop their rule over Judea. Now, how did Judas get on with the rest of the disciples? Well, none of the disciples knew who was going to betray Jesus. None of them knew. None of them suspected Judas. So why preach on Judas? Well, Judas shows us how close a person can get to the Lord and still not be a Christian. You see, he saw Jesus walk on the water. He saw Jesus raise the dead. He was there when Jesus opened the eyes of the blind. He heard the divine wisdom that Jesus spoke as he taught. He heard the way in which he was able to silence his critics. He walked beside Jesus across Palestine. He heard Jesus pray many times and perhaps even prayed with him. He saw the love of the people, the love for the people that Jesus had in his eyes. He was there firsthand and observed all of these things. He saw Jesus walk among sinful men for over three years and yet he didn't put a foot wrong. That's Jesus. He didn't sin at all. He sat next to Jesus at the, Lord's, at the Last Supper when he broke bread. As we've been remembering this morning, Judas was there on that very first occasion. He knew Jesus was the Son of God and yet he never trusted him as Saviour. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Someone once said that Judas kissed the door of heaven but died and went to hell. He was so close to Jesus but so far. So how did Judas lose his soul? Judas shows us the depravity of the human heart and how hard it can get. There's no record of Judas ever being converted. There's no record of his ever being convicted of his sin. Judas pretended to be something that he wasn't. He was a hypocrite. And a hypocrite simply means an actor, one who played a part. 
He played the part of an obedient um, disciple. But there's a difference between a weak and backslidden Christian and a hypocrite. You see, a hypocrite never knew the Lord. Whereas a backslidden Christian knew the Lord but has fallen away and can be brought back like Peter. Judas betrayed Jesus because, among other things, he loved money. He betrayed him for money. Many held Jesus in high esteem, yet Judas seemed to hold him in low esteem. Judas was the greatest traitor in all of history. He had a part in the greatest injustice that was ever done to anyone. He's the only one of the 12 disciples whose name is in the Collins Dictionary. Judas is defined as someone who betrays someone else. What a sad epitaph. His name became so despised in the early church that Judas, in Matthew chapter 13 verse 55, is recorded as the Lord's half-brother, in writing his message in the Bible, which is recorded by the shortened title of Jude. His name was Judas, but even the Lord's own brother changed his name to Jude instead of Judas. Well, let's come back to chapter 26. After anointing Judas, after the anointing, Judas agrees to betray Jesus. Judas agrees to betray Jesus, and we read this in verses 14 to 16. Verse 14 of chapter 26 says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? And so they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Then we see the preparation of the Passover and then the institution of the Lord's Supper that we were looking at and participating in this morning, in chapter 26, verses 17 to 30. And that is where the Lord instituted this feast for us as his people to remember him until he comes again. I wonder if the disciples thought that this would go on for more than 2,000 years at the time when it was instituted. I don't think it even entered their thoughts. But we still do it today because he asked us to. During this time, Jesus tells them that one of his disciples is going to betray him. One of you is going to betray me, he said. But interestingly, not one of them had an idea of who it was and they were all asking the same question, is it me, Lord? Is it me? What, what have I done? What, am I, what have I done? Am I going to let you down? But no one suspected Judas Iscariot. Well, after Judas left the room, the disciples followed Jesus out and they went to the Mount of Olives and they continued to talk. And there Jesus predicts Peter's denial of him in verses 31 to 35. Verse 31 says, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But... After I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Well, Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. 
Well, following this, they went to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed while the disciples who were supposed to be watching slept. And we read that through in verses 36 to 46. In the Garden of Gethsemane, after this time in prayer, Jesus is arrested, verse 47. It reads this, While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, and with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them, The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. And then the men stepped forward and seized Jesus and arrested him. Well, with that, one of Jesus' companions, it was Peter, reached for his sword, drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? By way of explanation here, in the time of the New Testament when the Romans were ruling, um, a legion was ideally 6,000 men. It was divided up into 10 cohorts. Each cohort had six centuries or divisions of 100 men. So that is 72,000 angels from the Lord could have been called upon to uh, rescue him from the hands of the mob. <laughs> I suggest to you the mob wouldn't have sought a chance. Verse 54 goes on to say, But how would it then be, how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Well, in that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But all this has taken place that the writings of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So it's not just Peter, it's not just Judas who abandoned him. It was the whole lot. I think perhaps the only one who didn't was John who was at the cross and uh, he was given the instruction by the Lord to look after Mary, his mother. Well, after he was arrested, Jesus was taken before the Sanhedrin and he was put on trial in verses 57 to 68. And then we read about Peter and his experience, verses 69 to 75. Verse 69 says, Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it. He denied it before all of them. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. Well, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. And so he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Then immediately the cock crew. Oh, crowed. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. 
Can you imagine Peter and the way he must have felt at that time? The Lord had warned him that it would happen. But brazenly in his own strength he said, No, Lord, I will never let you down. But here he remembered the words of the Lord and he had denied him three times. So then we come to chapter 27 and we read about Judas and what Judas did next. Verse 1 of 27 says, Early in the morning all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans of how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate the governor. Well, when Jesus, oh, sorry, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Jesus threw the money into the temple and left, and he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said it's against the law to put this into the, into the treasury since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. And that's why it's been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel. And they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Thirty pieces of silver. It's about two or three hundred dollars in today's money. Not a lot to betray the Saviour, is it? Now, I always thought that thirty pieces of silver was a lot of money. That must have been a lot of money in those days. And um, I figured that because that was the price of a, a, a slave. And... Um, I didn't realise how little value the Romans put on, the, on, a, on human life in those days, but I always was thinking of a, the price of a slave in American terms. You know, back in the 1600s, 1800s, um, they used to import black, America, uh, black African people into America to be slaves, and they would sell and trade them on the, on the um, slave market. And the average cost of a slave was around $800 to $2,000, depending on the... Um, the, the quality of the person or the stave. You know, if it was a young, strong man, they would want to pay a little bit more. If it was an old fella or an old woman, um, they'd pay a lot less because of what they could produce. And uh, sort of, I, was, I was thinking in 800 to $2,000 terms back in those years. Well, in 1809, that would be the equivalent of 50000 to $150,000. Now that made sense to me because you know you could go out and buy a section for that sort of money. Well, yeah, um, only 30 pieces of silver. It was only two or $300 in today's pocket money. And that's what Judas got for betraying the Lord. Not a lot. So how did Peter and Judas respond in this time of desperate need. How did they feel about the betrayal and denial of Jesus? Well, the two men had let the Lord down in a big way. And remember, they weren't the only ones. The others did too. But we're going to concentrate just on these two this morning. They had two completely different results. Both realised that they had done wrong. 
both sincerely regretted what they had done and they felt really bad about it. But only one repented and was restored to fellowship with the Lord. The other in his anguish went back to the priests and he tried in his own strength to put matters right. In his frustration he threw the 30 pieces of silver back at the priests and he ran out and he committed suicide. Well, that's Judas' action. How did Peter get on? Let's compare them both. They both had plans that went wrong. In the garden, Peter tried to be a hero. He grabbed a sword, and I don't know what sort of sword he must have had in those days because I didn't think many uh, people outside the Roman legions were allowed to have swords, but he had some sort of weapon, and he took it out and he sliced off um, the servant's ear. He put on a real brave front. He was going to lead the defence of Jesus at any cost. But when it came to the courtyard, it was just a servant girl. And she said, hey, aren't you one of the ones that were with Jesus? Oh, no, no, not me, said Peter. And he denied the Lord when he was confronted by a girl. Not by a mob, just by a girl. In the garden, he was full of bravado and bluster. And what a different story in the courtyard. When he got called out, he reacted in fear and he started to lie. He hadn't planned for it to happen, but it did. Luke 22 verse 61 tells us the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter after he had denied him. Can you imagine the Lord looking at you? Those piercing eyes who knows and understands and sees all that you do, all that you think about. Suddenly in that moment, Jesus looked at Peter and Peter saw those eyes. It may have been way in the distance, but Peter saw him looking at him and it broke his heart. It broke the Lord's heart. He didn't plan for it to happen, but the Lord looked straight at Peter and then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And while he was weeping... While he was pouring his heart out, the priests, meanwhile, and the elders were putting their plot into action to kill Peter, uh, to kill Jesus. Early in the morning, probably after dawn, so that it would be legal, they took a vote and decided together to um, kill Jesus for his crime of blasphemy. Well, under Roman law, they weren't allowed to execute him. But that worked in their favour because, you see, they could hide behind the technicality that they themselves weren't responsible for his blood because they didn't actually kill him. It was just the Romans that were arranging to have it done. They sought to avoid trouble with the Romans, uh, so they didn't stone him. They didn't want a riot to commence in the city of Jerusalem, and so they tried to keep their hands clean, so they thought, by turning him over to the Romans. Was that Judas' plan? No, it wasn't. That wasn't supposed to happen. Was it Peter's plan to deny the Lord? No. Peter was not planning on swearing that he'd never laid eyes on Jesus before. I'm not sure what Judas was planning or what he wanted. Was it just the money? I don't think so. That was just a trivial amount of money. I think perhaps that he may have been trying to force Jesus' hand to demonstrate his power to make the the people, the rulers... Uh, let him go and set him up as the, as the Messiah, the King, to drive out the Romans 
so that Israel once more would be a nation in control of its own destiny with its Messiah in place as its ruler. I'm not sure the Bible doesn't tell us what its motives were, but sinful plans often go out of control. That wasn't supposed to happen. You see, he didn't expect Jesus to be crucified. That was the last thing that he wanted to happen. He wanted Jesus to be elevated and raised up to his proper place as king. Both of them were devastated by the ensuing events. That's what Judas experienced. In verse 3, when he saw what had happened, he was horrified. The word means to regret an action or to, um, to wish that you could take something back. Judas tried to put things right in his own strength, but he couldn't. He went back to the priests and the elders and he said, look, I'm, uh, this is for the, um, the shedding of innocent blood and I don't want to have a part of that. Take the money back. And the, of course they wouldn't accept it. And so he had to throw the money back into the temple treasury. Um, if only it was that easy to, um, to put our mistakes and get them put right. He confessed the sin, to the sin of putting innocent blood in jeopardy. And that was a very serious sin. Here's one example in Deuteronomy 19 verse 13. It says, Show no pity. You must purge from Israel the guilt of shedding innocent blood so that all may go well with you. The Jewish leaders, the priests and the elders, they knew that it was a sin to accept blood money. Deuteronomy 23.18 it says, You must not bring the illicit earnings of a female or male prostitute into the house of the Lord your God to pay any vow because the Lord your God detests blood money. They knew that this was a terrible wrong, a terrible sin, and it had the same penalty as blasphemy. The worst kings of Israel were charged with this crime. They filled the land with innocent blood. And so Judas did everything that he could to take it back, to take back the wrong that he had done. He begged the elders and the chief priests to help him out, but they wouldn't let him off the hook. It's not our problem, they said, it's yours. They had used him to do what they wanted, and now they were done with him. And Judas knew that Jesus was innocent of any wrongdoing. Judas knew that he had committed a crime that he couldn't undo. He was in a hopeless and a helpless situation. When he gave the money back, they would not even keep it in the temple. We would call it dirty money. And so the, the chief priests and the elders, they um, engaged in a bit of money laundering, if you like. They used it for a profane, to them, purpose by buying a graveyard for foreigners. They were also trying to distance themselves from this act. Judas, by returning the money, and the priests, by refusing to accept it, they were transferring the responsibility for the crime to the Romans. 2,000 years later, that guilt still remains. Some things don't wash out. We see that Judas was overcome by the hopelessness of his situation and he took the only course that he saw open to himself. He hanged himself. But his regret wasn't enough because it offered him no escape from his sin. And so this is where we see Judas and Peter um, part in their approach. Peter believed, but Judas remained in unbelief. We saw what happened when the rooster crowed after Peter's third denial. 
he remembered what Jesus said. And the rest of Peter's life demonstrated a repentance from unbelief and the embracing of a life-changing hope, a life-changing hope-building faith in Jesus Christ. Judas never believed in what Jesus had said, which is why he betrayed him for a couple of hundred bucks. Matthew 26 verse 28 says, This is my blood, the covenant, blood of the covenant, which is poured out for them, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Judas didn't believe Jesus when he said that he was going to be crucified, which is why he was so shocked when it actually happened, when he was led away to be killed. And ultimately, when the gracious nature of Jesus Christ to forgive was so desperately needed to forgive his sin, Judas remained in his unbelief. There's only one unforgivable sin, and that is the sin of remaining in our unbelief. When all the evidence presented by the Holy Scriptures proves otherwise, Judas should have followed his regret to repentance, to the repentance of the sin of unbelief. Instead, he wallowed in the swamp of self-pity. Remorse is a never-ending pity party. It's tiresome to all but the host. That's a quotation from Victor Yatt. Judas refused to believe that Jesus would or could forgive him. So in rejecting the one hope that he had to be forgiven, he committed the ultimate act of hopelessness. But you know what? Peter found out that Jesus could, would, and does forgive sin. And he still does today. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, says the old hymn. Do you think you have the original sin that can't be forgiven? Take Peter's route. Repent and believe. We don't talk about suicide very much in New Zealand. It's actually a bit of a taboo subject. Even the uh, press is not allowed to publish any details around a suicide because they don't want other people to imitate it. Are you having a bad day? A bad time? Have you been betrayed? Have you been abandoned by your friends or denied by your friends like Jesus was? Jesus understands. He knows what it is like to be betrayed, to be abandoned and to be denied. He's prepared and ready and willing and able to forgive any sin no matter how bad it was. Or is. If you are contemplating or thinking about suicide as the only way out, please believe me, it's not the only way out. If you come to Jesus, He will understand. He appreciates what you're going through. Find a friend. Talk about it. If you've got a friend who's suicidal, you need to get alongside that friend and talk to them. Not so much talk to them, listen to them. Let them share with you what the issue is. And then take them and help them to find help. There's help to be found in the Lord Jesus. We need to encourage each other to take Peter's route. To come back in repentance and believe in the forgiving and loving Son of God, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless. Thank you.